want to tell you something? Mexican, I respect you. <laughs> I won't. Tell me, this guy's the best. <laughs> Americas live and underway here on ESPN Plus, episode 270. Coming to you from the big studio here at ESPN's Los Angeles facility. Alongside Casey Keller, I'm Sebi Salazar. Great to have you with us. Uh, Casey, did you ever get a response like that from Mexican fans when you were playing for the U.S.? All the time. <laughs> oh, really? Yep. Just like that? All the time. Yep. They were, I mean, I think... Mm when I kind of started playing against Mexico, it was that transition where we started right. consistently beating Mexico were earning over respect. and over again. And, yeah. and how, there's no other way to get respect. Mm -hmm. And so, and because of that and because of playing uh, in Europe and then obviously my time in Spain where then I could do a bunch of interviews in Spanish, about that, that yeah. also kind of helped the whole process. Right. You, Landon Donovan, Christian Pulisic, all beloved by uh, L3 fans the world over. All right, so we've got lots coming up in this show. In just a few minutes, you're going to hear from Ali Krieger. We're going to talk about the U.S. and that 1-1 draw against the Netherlands. We also have an amazing top 10. Production is telling me it's one of the best top 10 goals you've ever seen. We'll also talk about Serginho Dest, who we got to see uh, last night playing for Barcelona here in the Los Angeles area. But let's start with a man who is leading our shows pretty much from here on out, I think. Lionel Messi and his performances with Inter-Miami. Of course, a second game with Inter-Miami. First start in the League's Cup against Atlanta United. This from before the game. That's DJ Khaled's son who's, you know, kind of overtaken with emotion. And look at Messi, the humanity, comforting the youngster there. We love to see that from uh, Lionel Messi. We also love to see this. I guess unless maybe you're the rest of MLS. Eight minutes in, Lionel Messi. He misses with the left, Casey, but finishes with the right. Well, and also if you're Gonzo Pineda coaching that back line and saying, here, here's 60 yards to run in behind with one of the best players in the world. But yes, I mean, great touch from Lionel Messi. And then obviously the composure to realize that it comes back off the post, straight to him, puts it back in with the right. And of course, it all starts on the foot of Sergio Busquets. 22nd minute, more from Messi. The chop back from Robert Taylor. Another right-footed finish. Yeah, it's just, again, it's being in the right place at the right time, which obviously he's made a living out of. But then, at the same time, you have to have good service, and Taylor puts a good ball in the box and allows Messi, again, just to make contact and sweep it in the net. All right, so Messi's rolling, but what about the rest of Inter-Miami? Robert Taylor! My goodness. Yeah, really, I mean, from that kind of angle, it has to be a really good strike to beat Brad Guzan, and it is. I mean, it's absolutely smashed up the far post top corner. Excellent finish, and then from here, it was just running away. Robert Taylor again. Lionel Messi's new favorite target, Casey. Well, you talk about that. It's not going to be just Messi. It's just not going to be Busquets. That, that the rest of the Miami team is going to step up, and they're going to be better because of the players around them, and Robert Taylor has been the first to show that. Sign of hope late for Atlanta as they get a, a penalty. But, I mean, there's no doubt about that. But, Thiago Almada, what was that, Casey? Uh, <laughs> and what was the red card for? Did I miss that? Was it just a second yellow? Because I didn't see a whole lot for that to be a straight red. Atlanta United becoming Lionel Messi's 100th different victim at the club level. So outside of Atlanta, everybody seems to be enjoying Lionel Messi's presence. Uh, none more so, though, than Robert Taylor. 
we found a good balance. Uh, every time Leo has the ball, we'll have a few players running in behind to thread them in behind. And every time he has the ball, I'll just try and get in behind, make a run for him. And he is the best player in the world. So uh, this is what he does. He scores two goals. He scored last game. He gets another assist. It's, it's just um, it's a dream come true to play with him. Simply sensational. Lionel Messi, two goals in the first 22 minutes of his first start. Is it what you expected from him in his first start, or was it more than what you expected? I think it was what I hoped. It's what I knew was possible from mm-hmm. Lionel Messi. The key, look, we talk about this all the time. The key to players coming into MLS, it's all about the attitude and the effort that they're going to put forward. If they let their talent rise to the top, they'll be successful. If they think they can cruise in this league at 75%, mm-hmm. then they will struggle. And obviously the attitude of Messi to start so far has been exactly the way everybody wanted it to be. The odds makers are really loving Inter-Miami, right? If you look at kind of the... Odd, odds makers of what? Well, I'll tell you. MLS Cup, for instance, right? The team is dead last right. in the Eastern Conference. They've got the ninth best MLS Cup odds. They're already the favorites to win League's Cup. And, you know, I will admit I'm the fan here. And I saw what he did in 40 minutes against Cruz Azul. And I thought, okay, there's something here for the long term. Now you see it from the beginning. And it's not just Messi, it's Busquets. Sure. And honestly, I don't know that I wouldn't take them to win League's Cup, and and I don't think there's a team in MLS right now, Casey, that has hit a higher level than what we've seen from Inter-Miami in these 100 minutes. I know it's a really small sample size. Am I getting carried away? Are the odds makers here getting carried away, saying that that Inter-Miami is right now capable of of winning hardware? I really like, I don't have a problem with the League's Cup and even the Open Cup, because I think they're not going to catch up in the... In, really? In the yeah. I mean, it, it's they haven't traveled yet. They haven't had to like change their side around very much. They've and there's been a huge buzz around obviously Messi coming into the side and having the success that he's had. But this means they're basically going to have to win every league game going out home and away. And I think that's a bit of a stretch. But if you can then focus on one of the other two tournaments, which we know a lot of other MLS teams don't. Mm-hmm. And, and if you can take advantage of that with the talent and the motivation and then obviously the rumors of so many other big right. name new players possibly coming in looking to replicate what Messi and Busquets have done with this quick start, then, yeah, of course. Of course, in the cup competitions, but I think the league's a big stretch. I mean, it would be one of the most phenomenal turnarounds of all time. I mean, the Sounders had a really good yep. one when they won their first title. 16 with Herc. Yeah, yeah. and uh, but I think this, I think they're even, they're further back. Right. So that's, that's a big ask. And with less time to make it up, right? I think that's, Correct. that's the important. Just yep. 12 games left in the MLS regular season when they pick back up on August 20th. Uh, let's talk a little bit about Atlanta's role, Casey, in all this. Because as you saw in the highlights, yes, it is Lionel Messi. Yes, it is Sergio Busquets. But I think Atlanta also participated actively in their own dismantling. Well, and we've got some that video illustrations yeah. uh, that are going to prove it here. Well, yeah, I mean, definitely in the first goal. Uh, I mean, there's a point. Look, I mean, that's... That's Sergio Busquets you're giving that time to. Well, well but, but you're ta- yeah, there is zero effort to press the ball. Zero in midfield. And then what's rule number one? When there's no pressure on the ball in midfield... I know this one because I'm, I'm an amateur. You drop off. You have to drop. You do two cardinal sins. You don't press, and then you you don't drop off. And, yeah, that's just 
that's way too easy for a college team, much yet those two players linking up. So, yeah, really poor from Atlanta United on the first goal. Now here, once again, now here you got the drop-off, mm -hmm. but you still have zero pressure in midfield. How do we explain that? Is that, is that a team being starstruck a little bit? Because surely that's not the game plan to leave Messi open. That, that's just, uh, look, I know Gonzo Pode mm -hmm. Podeta well. Um, there's no chance that there wasn't a preparation. Yes. It, it was just a really, really poor execution mm. of a game plan. And those are worrying signs uh, for, for Atlanta. When you're coming yeah. into that game with the motivation of playing against Messi, playing against Busquets, and, and you look like you're, you don't want to be there. Yeah. They, they I think, tactic, tactically might have shown the rest of MLS what not to do oh. against Inter Miami because they did they were aggressive right and I think maybe there was some thought that they could create chances against Cruz Azul, uh, Busquets made a late error under pressure that almost led to a goal. Sure. Um, but really, when you think about trying to press a team that can build out through not just Sergio Busquets but we know coming down the left side now, Jordi Alba. If you're another MLS team at this point, even if you're a great MLS team, a team that likes to play, don't you have to look at this Inter Miami side and say? We have to respect this. We have to play, even if we'd like to play aggressive, there's a lot of teams in MLS, Casey, you know this, that love to press. Are they going to all have to sit back in, in two lines of four and just hope to hit them on the counter like, like everybody used to do against Barca back right. in the day? But also understand that Messi and Busquets are relatively in preseason. Right. I mean, they're, they're not at match fitness right. by any means. Uh, you know, they're coming off uh, the end of the European seasons and where the rest of the squads, you're watching the games all over the place. That's where they would normally be, two, three games into their preseason. And now they're being asked to come in and, and, and step up and do very well. But so they're not where they will be, let's say, in four or five games. But teams, MLS has this level of parity because of the cap, because of everything that they can do. Yes, some teams spend more because of the mechanisms than others. And obviously, we're seeing a prime yep. example of that right now. But when you play for some of the teams that I played, particularly let's say let's just go to Leicester City. You're mm -hmm. playing you're Leicester City in the Premier League, you get promoted, you're now playing against the Arsenals and the Man U's right. of the mid nineties. You can't play them heads up. You play them heads up, you lose 4-0. Mm. You have to make an adjustment based on the team you're playing against and how well you're then able to disrupt what they want to do, but then still keep some of that identity yourself. So it is. It's, it's, it's probably going to be a lesson for a lot of managers in MLS that they're not going to be able to just say, well, this is how we play, and we're going to do that against these players. We're going to have to make adjustments because if we don't, you're going to pay the price. And look, you know, I, I covered MLS for 10, 12 years and then played for three. So there were times when I would watch tactics of teams going in and, and, you know, let's just go back a couple years and let's just say, you know, Seattle Sounders with Jordan Morris in the pace and you're playing a high line 50 yards up with no pressure on the ball and you're going, wait, have you not watched the strengths and weaknesses of your opponent and realizing that your outside back and center back are so slow and you want to give this guy that kind of space to run in behind? No, you have to adjust to your opponent. Um, Sergio Busquets, obviously just a, a huge part of this uh, as well. I mean, overall, in any way is... Look, I would give Sergio a lot more credit if he didn't have 30 yards 
or 10 yards of space yeah. with no pressure to make a, a, a play a ball. Seb, look, I know I don't give you a lot of credit. You could have made that pass. But it is, it is something else to see a player with that technical ability in, in Major League Soccer. He is, he is not just a little bit ahead of everybody else. He's clearly ahead of everybody else. And you can see the way, you know, I think we can't just say it's, it's Messi that has flipped this switch, right? It, True. It was two guys coming on. We've always, we've always seen them together, and, and I think that's been, that's been pretty obvious. In any way, and, and let's hit this quickly, because I want to get to Luis Miguel Achegaray, who's going to join us, uh, to talk about kind of the long-term future with Inter-Miami. There are some corners of the internet that are saying, <laughs> hey, the fact that this guy rocked up on the last place team, fresh off vacation, and is just destroying the league is a bad look for MLS. Is there anything to that in your opinion? I think there's a, a, a very little percentage, right? I mean, and, but, it, but it goes down to some people trying to claim that we are maybe further along mm. than we actually are. And, and look, you have to know where we are. You got to look at some of the budgets of our teams. Uh, I would say that right now, if you look at whatever the numbers, 50 million, 60 million, the MLS salary cap besides certain mechanisms is 5 million. Right, right. He's making 10 times the team salary cap. He's making 10 team salary cap. So understand what that means for, you know, the rest of the squad. Yes, you can bring some players in and you, and you can do it. But, but when you bring in a player like Messi, you have to understand that he is going to make some people look silly. Yeah, I don't think it makes MLS look bad. I think it exposes some of the limitations that the rosters have because of the the very limiting rules. And I think that's a big difference. There, there's, a, there's a combination between the limiting rules and then the idea that you've chose to limit the rules. Right. And, because, and I mean, I've had conversations with owners from different leagues saying, does it make more sense to have five guys making half a million than one guy making 2.5 million and build your squad stronger than being three, four players top heavy? Yeah. Uh, but... Look, I would love to see MLS get to that point where they take away all these mechanisms, put a hard cap, soft cap, and one DP or two DPs or something, and then and then you know kind of take the training wheels off yes. a little bit, yeah. and let the let the GMs, let the sport directors, let the coaches, let them build a squad based off of what their market needs. If you need to go sign a Messi to sell tickets, okay. But again, we talked about this the other day on FC. In the end, Messi should be coming here to help Miami win. Mm. Not a marketing ploy, not sell a shirt. That's all part of it. But the ultimate goal when most big-name players are signed to a team, it's to help that team win. And, and, and that has to be the number one criteria. And so far, Lionel Messi, Sergio Busquets helping Inter-Miami do that. Of course, they're under the guidance of Tata Martino, who took over for Phil Neville. And so far, it's a pretty good comparison for Tata Martino. <laughs> that, we'll, put it, we'll put it like yeah, but, that. But we, they still haven't played a league game. Okay. They still have, I mean, it's, I know, I know. You know, I, know. I mean, that's... I mean, it, look, it, this it, is Football Americas. We're all about getting carried away with the momentum uh, of Lionel Messi joining Inter-Miami.
This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. All right, for more on this, let's uh, welcome into the show Luis Miguel Echegaray. Uh, all right, let's, uh, let's break down this messy thing. Let's look forward, right, because there's so many competitions. We now know the League's Cup knockout game is going to be next Wednesday. We got the Open Cup semifinal August 23rd. We got the start of MLS regular season on August 20th. How do you think Inter-Miami is going to manage Messi's minutes as we move through all this? It's a good question, Sevi Salazar, because obviously I, I'm looking at the schedule and my biggest priority right now, if I'm an Inter-Miami fan, is how is Tata Martino going to balance this crazy August, as you just mentioned? Okay, okay they, they won against Cruz Azul. He, he played a, a second half in that segment. He, he won a, against a very flat very bad Atlanta United, let's just say it, right? And then from now on, if they continue to develop in the League's Cup, then those minutes, Tata Martino has to balance. Then, let's not forget about the fact that MLS comes up back on August 20th. The final of the League's Cup is August 19th. Then, hmm. you also have a US Open Cup semi-final against, by the way, a very good team in Cincinnati. So now you have this schedule where Tata Martino has to say to himself, how do I make sure that my superstar my absolute key, right, not only delivers, but he's healthy. Because mm. guess what? At the end of that Atlanta United game, he put his hand up and he said, hey, Tata, time to sub me out because <laughs> I'm not ready yet. I just came back from vacation. I just had a good time with Antonella and the kids on the beach. I need to take some time off, right? And that's exactly what happened. So to me, Sevi and Casey Keller, I'm looking at this August time and how Tata is going to balance this massive schedule. If he handles that, and by the way, Sergio Busquets, because he's no spring chicken, if he handles that, then we can see what happens. But mm. August is a massive month in order to see what Inter Miami does with that calendar. Casey, uh, give me your perspective here from, from you know, Inter-Miami side of things. What do you think is the priority? Is it, is it MLS regular season? Is it the Open Cup? Is it, you know, League's Cup doesn't really interfere with those, but, but where would you be putting your messy minutes right now, Casey, if you well, could allocate you, you them? Well, you think that, 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 that Open Cup is semifinal final, right? Yep. Yep. So August 23rd semifinal, and the final would be, I think, like September 27th. So I think, I think right now, you know, because... August 23rd is around the corner, mm-hmm. and that's your best chance to win your first trophy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a ticket into the CONCACAF Champions League? You know, there's, there's, I think that has to be the number one priority right now. Uh, and then, obviously, then I think it's, 
it's the other cup competition, and then it's the league because I think they are so far behind in the league. Right. It's going to be so. It's going to be one of the most miraculous comebacks of all time. We talked about it earlier. So, uh, if you can keep that buzz going by giving your fans something to celebrate, uh, uh, go to a cup final, maybe even host a cup final. I yep. mean, you know how the Open Cup works. It, 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 it's a little interesting sometimes on who gets to host and who doesn't. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, I think could you – I would love to see Messi in an Open Cup final, ah. League's Cup final, <laughs> and, then, and then look, th- there's, there's – nobody is going to say anything if they don't make the playoffs. I mean, because he's here for 12 games. It's not like it's, okay, here, we expect you to come in, win nine of these, draw three, and, and, and maybe squeak in as the last seed. So, yeah, I would, I would truly focus on the cup. But then at the same time, I think we have to understand. I mean, and, and the point was made. This is preseason for him. Yep. You know, yep. you can't then say, let's capitalize on this buzz and every team that wants him to be a part of it and play him, play him, play him, have him pull something, and then miss him for some really important things. So I think it's going to be really important for Tata to understand. You know, he knows that. I mean, yep. he's been around the block. Messi's also in, in Busquets and Jordi Alba and, you know, you know, the ghost of Luis Suarez. I mean, if they have to come in and, uh, and, 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 and manage that, they're all veterans who can tell a veteran coach. You know, I, I think I need to back off here a little bit. Yeah, worth noting in all this, there's also an international break, Luis Miguel. I mean, no chance Lionel Messi is going to miss his time with Argentina. That's obviously going to play a factor. 100%. The beginning of September, then you have Scaloni saying, hey, by the way, Leo, I need you for World Cup qualifiers. And that's going to be another massive need. And by the way, who knows how he will get once he returns. Look. The point has been made, right? How, how good are the minutes going to be used when it comes to Lionel Messi? But at the same time, Messi himself, at 36 years old, has to say to himself, what can I do? What can I give? Because also Casey made a point earlier on about the traveling. Okay, it's been two great wins at home and maybe the next games against Orlando City, a Florida derby. But what happens when he has to go across the country? By the way, they have to play LAFC just before the international break as well. So there's so much to do here. But hey, Inter-Miami fans aren't complaining. They have Leo Messi, for mm-hmm. Christ's sake. And by the way, I mentioned to this to you last week, Sevi. Jordi Alba is a massive factor in this, mm-hmm. and it's only going to make them better. The Andre Yedlin said something really great last week, and he said, listen, Messi has lifted everybody's spirits up. Calendar is a good goalkeeper. He's playing out of his mind right now. This is a very good team, but yes, context is needed. I want to see what they do against the likes of Cincinnati or LAFC or tougher opponents uh, from the Mexican side, and then we'll see. But the minutes are key for Leo Messi and how Tata Martino uses them. Speaking of minutes, there were still some minutes left in the game when the Inter-Miami fans, or maybe I shouldn't say Inter-Miami, maybe I should say Lionel Messi fans, started pouring out of the stadium there in Fort Lauderdale. Of course, we sped this up a little bit for effect because that's how we roll here on Football Americas. Uh, Luis Miguel, you, you, you know that part of the world very well. You were down there. You know the fans. Uh, are you cool with this or do you have a problem with it? I'm cool with it, man. Everybody needs to chill out here. Uh, let me give you some context, all right? Inter-Miami were already winning 4 nothing in this game on a late... Tuesday night. There were just over 12 minutes left. By the way, getting out of DRV Pink Stadium Mm -hmm. is not an easy feat. It's really annoying, right? So it's a Tuesday night. It's late in the game. They're winning 4-0. Messi leaves. 
Okay, so a few people leave. Okay, more than a few. And yes, obviously with that timeline, it makes it even worse. I get it, Inter-Miami fans. I get it, hardcore purists. You don't like seeing this, but it's for nothing. I think it's a different story if the game was one all. It's an intense back and forth, and for some inexplicable reason, Messi has to leave the pitch, and then suddenly everybody leaves. That is when I say, okay, what are you doing? The game is still going. But it was 4 nothing Tuesday night. Getting out of there for Fort Lauderdale is an absolute hellhole. So I'm cool <laughs> with it, man. I'm not, as, I'm not as annoyed about it as other people. Uh, Casey, you got any problem with it? What, are, what about the guys on the field? You've been a player. Wouldn't that insult you? <laughs> no, I think, I think in some ways it's pride because you know you're 4-0 up. You right. know I mean? It, right. and, and, yeah, I agree for sure. If it was 1-1 and you're battling for a result, yeah. I mean, there's no question that would be annoying. But – but at 4-0 up, yeah, that's uh, – you know, we, you, we talked about away games the other day. Yeah. Right? When you go 4-0 up and the home fans pile out on the road, <laughs> that is a big sense of pride. So at least when you're home, that's, all, that's, that's also nice. When you're 4-0 up and you know your fans are going home early, it's, it, it's not because they're upset at you. They're just like, hey – we know we're going to win. We're excited. We can beat the traffic a little bit. And look, that's, that's what's going to happen not Casey just in Fort Lauderdale. Casey there, I think, Sammy. Yep, <laughs> yep. It's going to happen not just in Fort Lauderdale. That's going to happen all over the United States. When well, Messi it, goes it, off it, the it field, will at the beginning. It will at the beginning. And then I think when people who have bought the odd ticket just to see Messi, I think then they'll start. That will, that will calm down a little bit. All right. Uh, Luis Miguel Echegaray, great to have you with us here on Football Americas. As always, man, thanks for the time. Thank you, guys. Have a good one. There he is, Luis Miguel, always uh, helping us out on our coverage of Lionel Messi with Inter Miami. Speaking of Messi, one of his former clubs, Barcelona, facing off against Real Madrid. A Texas Clásico Saturday, 5 p.m. Eastern time, available for you right here on ESPN+. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Speaking of Barcelona, they were in this neck of the woods, taking on Arsenal last night at SoFi Stadium. And surprising for some people, Casey, Serginho Des getting the start at right back. He played 45 minutes and uh, didn't do too much, but did have some action here. Well, I mean, I think the key for, Virgi for Serginho, I had a decent little talk with him. Uh after the Mexico game in the in the League's Cup and just kind of asking them about, you know, kind of what the plan is. And, mm -hmm. and his plan was, as of right now, I'm a Barcelona player and mm -hmm. I'm going to go back and do everything I can to still be a Barcelona player. And that's what, look, if I'm Xavi, if I'm whoever, that's the only thing he can say. Okay. Right? But from his perspective, is that the right approach? Because we know Xavi in the past has said, I don't have a use for this player. The cynic in me is saying... Well, if suddenly Barcelona are saying they're interested in this guy again or they might have a use for him again, it's because they really want to put him in the shop window. We know they need cash, and that's what they're trying to do here. I don't necessarily believe that suddenly they're ready to take a, a genuine second look at Sergio Dest. Are you sure but, this but is if, the right club for him at this point in his career? Well, no. Okay. But he doesn't have any choice of that matter. Mm. All he can do 
is go play well and see what happens. He's a Barcelona player. Mm -hmm. He went to AC Milan. It didn't work. Okay, fair enough. Now he's back. What happens, Seb, if, if, if nobody's knocking on the door, yep. let's say? What he has to do is say the right things, do the right things. You're also talking about a Barcelona side that is not going to be able to make massive signings. We know their financial troubles. He's there. Who knows what happens with injuries? Who knows what happens with form? Go there. Let Xavi know that you're capable. You can't do anything more than that. Show uh, that you're, you, you possibly could fill a void if needed. And, if, and look, and if a suitor comes along and you're able to get the right club and the right deal and the right situation, great. But again, as a player, that's out of your control. Mm. Uh, I'm curious what you think his level is. Like if you were his agent, where would you place mm. him? Where would you say, you know, either this club or it's, this league is the perfect level and style for certain? Well, it's more guys. than that, Seb. I mean, because the problem is, is you're also talking about salary. So you have to be able to say, if you're coming from a Barcelona, you're on a good salary. If you need to go somewhere to make sure you play, what kind of mechanisms are Barcelona going to put in place? Are they paying half your wages? Are they paying? You know, how does that all but work? We know, guys, we know guys are willing to take less money. Like, we assume Christian Pulisic. Christian took significantly less money, but you okay. also don't know. Why not know. ask the same of Serginho well, Dest? Because I know the way the What's game. What's the point of having all that money and not but, playing, but, Casey? But Seb, I also know that prob I don't know for sure, mm -hmm. but I, I knew many, many players where it happened. I would not be surprised if Chelsea was paying the difference okay. to what AC Milan is paying. So in his contract years left at Chelsea, he will make the same amount of money. Chelsea still saves a chunk. They get a player off their books. They get a transfer fee. It's all part of the deal. Um, maybe that has to be what happens for Dest to go to the right place. Uh, I think the tricky part that I see with Serginho, and I saw this early on at the national team, he's not really an outside back and he's not really a wing back. It's, he, he doesn't defend as an outside back. Um, and as a wing back role, there's not a lot of teams, particularly when you get into kind of a mid-table team that's playing with three at the back. Right. And, and a guy that's, that has this freedom to run. When you're playing in a team that's, that's mid-table to lower mid-table, you're playing five at the back, and there's an expectation that your outside back is one of the hardest defenders because you know you're not going to have the ball. You're going to be defending for 60 70% of the match. And so I think, I think Serginho really needs to find that identity of exactly what he is. I think when I think of Serginho Dest, he's like a, one of a lot of guys in this U.S. pool who are at a point in their career where they really need to nail the next move. Yep. Weston McKinney, Tyler Adams, uh, Balogun, you could even say, yep. given his situation. Eunice Moose is one that we've talked about, linked heavily to AC Milan. But, uh, you know, with everything that's happening in Valencia, definitely a, a guy that needs to move. Of that, of those well, I players, think Gio Reyna also is probably thrown into that you equation. Think so? Well, just because he's a little bit younger, not so much. But, I mean, there was talk that he was in this summer window, he was available to be sold. And so, yeah. I mean, Who on that list is, is the most important for you to, to, to nail this move? McKinney, Adams, Balogun, Musa, if you want to throw Reyna in there. I don't think Reyna's really being shopped. He's no, really no, I mean, places, yeah. But, yeah, but I know uh, you, know, you know what I mean yes. on, that, on that side yeah. of things. Either you have to reestablish yourself or then you're taking the step down. I'd say Weston McKinney for me is the one that, that's got to nail it. Um, yes, uh, because, and, and Serginho falls that same. You're coming from a really big club. 
you went on loan mm -hmm. and you weren't successful. It's one thing if you're successful and now there's this big buzz about you and there's teams. You know, it was almost like so. So Christian, so Christian has made that step. I mean, I still, I still don't mind Tyler Adams staying at Leeds. In the championship, really? I, I don't have a problem with that. I don't have a problem with them playing 50 games if they have a couple cup runs. Right. And getting that club back promoted. I have no problem with that whatsoever. All right. You think that's enough to keep him in the national team? I mean, yes, there's nobody else in that yeah. spot, right? He's just... That's no problem. Yeah, he's so far ahead in that... Uh, Yunus Musa as well, because, because I think what we saw is we saw, again, we saw a breakout where... At a big club like Valencia, who's been having all kinds of problems. This okay. isn't the Valencia that I played against. That's for no, sure. No, no, no. I mean, but, so, but when you're at a club, too, that is fighting relegation and you're not starring. Yeah. Again, we saw Eunice be the guy that was more offensive-minded, but then they played him more defensively, and it just it hasn't clicked. I mean, a lot of fans would, would kind of talk about when we're doing La Liga games is, you know, where's the Yunus Musa that we see for the national yeah. team? And, yeah. and a lot of times that was like you're saying, down to the fact that he's playing out of position or a different position that's than but his best. There's obviously a reason why he's playing there. Right. Because the, the because the coaching staff is not seeing him being the uh, as instrumental in the attack as they see with the national team. So Super talented player, just needs to figure out what that next move is. I think we're in this really weird situation because we, we talk so often that maybe U.S. players didn't get the opportunities at bigger clubs mm -hmm. that they potentially deserved. Well, here was a chance where we had this couple-year window yep. where a bunch of American players got to really big clubs, and it hasn't quite worked out for them. And so that next move is crucial. I agree with you 100%. All right, let's run it back. Check in on what's going on around the world. Carol Figueroa, the son of Minor Figueroa. Of course, uh, U.S. Youth International gets a goal for Liverpool, Casey, in the preseason. That's exciting. He hit it hard. Uh, yeah, I don't know what happened there in the defending. Maybe they were watching Atlanta United, but, mm. but that is a good strike. A U.S. prospect playing for Liverpool. Well, no, not playing for okay. Liverpool. Playing in the preseason's preseason. Uh, of, of the U18s uh, or the, the 21s or something. Uh, we do have USL against Bundesliga tonight, 10.30 p.m. Eastern Time on ESPN2 and ESPN Deportes. Throw out the records when San Diego Loyal and Borussia Dortmund meet. <laughs> is, Land is Landon running out in this one for 10 minutes? <laughs> U.S. Women's National Team playing their second game at the World Cup yesterday, a rematch of the 2019 final against Netherlands, this time for the top spot in Group B. The U.S. falling behind early in the first half. Jill Roard with a goal in the 17th minute. The defending champions knocked down, but not out. They'd respond with an equalizer in the second half. Lindsey Horan, the captain, scoring on a header from a corner kick. Game ends in a 1-1 draw. Afterwards, our Alexis Nunez all over the mix zone. Uh, uh, it was a difficult match, uh, as you said, uh, and uh, even though it didn't go, the, it didn't finish the way we wanted to finish. Uh, I thought it was a very good match for uh, 
for for our team, especially for a group of young players. Uh, they uh, they grew throughout the throughout the game in, uh, individually, but also as a team, uh, we grew uh, throughout the game as well. I I've said this before. You know, this 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 team is not just young. This team is also. Uh, a fresh team, team that hasn't spent a lot of minutes together, and uh, what, what you saw in the second half is uh, what, what you're going to see go, going forward as a best baseline. I think that uh, we're just going to get better from game to game, and uh, uh, we're going to uh, we're going to be a lot more efficient as well. That second half in itself, there was such a, a momentum shift. I think we're a little disappointed with how we came out in, in the first half and kind of the pressure that we were under. Um, but the second half, everything changed for us. We, <laughs> uh, we kept pressing them. We kept going. Uh, so many opportunities came with that, and our team just played more like a team. Obviously, we'll take the point. We know Netherlands is a really good side. We knew it was going to be a battle for sure. But I think especially with the second half we have, we're a little disappointed that I don't think we put one, two, three in the net. We could have put some goals, obviously, in uh, in the net, but I think for us, it's it's taking a lot of pride in getting back into the game. You know, it's not an easy thing to do to go down in a World Cup. There's so much uh, pressure and so the stakes are high, but I think for us to climb back and, and get a get a point is better than none. Once we got that goal, we, we knew it was coming. We knew it was inevitable, and not to get the second when it's, I think, a bit unlucky. Uh, we played in their half almost the entire second half. Um, I don't even think they had really dangerous opportunities in the second half, so just to see see um, us come into locker room, regroup, and come out in the second half and put on that display. I'm really proud of the group. Um, but yeah, we're, we're not happy if we're not getting the win. Um, obviously, it puts the first place of the group just up for grabs now. Um, and so we have, to close, uh, we have to close the job when we play against Portugal in a few days. All right, for more in the U.S. and their 1-1 draw against Netherlands, time to welcome into the show two-time World Cup champion Ali Krieger. Ali, I know you're very busy on the road with Gotham FC, so we really do appreciate the time. I don't want to lead the witness, uh, so let's just get right to it. What did you think of that U.S. performance? Yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't the best. Um, I think the first half they really did struggle, as a lot of the players had mentioned, along with Blacko. I do think the transitional moments defensively really caught us off guard, and I don't think we were compact enough. I don't think we handled those transitional moments uh, one, once we lost the ball fairly well. Uh, then, obviously, the second half they you know tidied it up, but uh, you know the Dutch were, were still able to kind of break lines, um, even building out of the back, and we couldn't seem to figure that out. Um, and I, I do feel like they had a really good game. Yes, in the end, they started to get tired. I think the Dutch really showed that. Um, and that was the moment that I was uh, thinking that Vlako would have, you know, subbed uh, one or two extra players in and not just Rose Lavelle. So I think that, um, you know, that decision was a bit, um, yeah, I guess surprising to me uh, when uh, in a moment like that, maybe experience could have been key. But, you know, at the end of the day, they came back uh, to get the goal. And I thought Lindsay's goal was amazing after especially that little duel she had with Bandadong. And um, yeah, ultimately, they got a point. Yeah, uh, I want to get to Vladko and Anofsky and the decisions to make one sub and, and, and not more. But let's leave that for a little bit later on, because one mm -hmm. of the things that I noticed about this game was just how physical the Dutch were. There's, there's the moment in the first half where Savannah DeMello gets her hair pulled. Did the Dutch, did they cross the line between being physical and being dirty, in your opinion? Um, no, I think that, you know, you have to have that physicality, especially against the U.S. You're really trying to disrupt 
the way that the U.S. was wanting to play. And I think they did a decent job of that. Yeah, it gets a little chippy, but uh, I think that's football in general. Um, I don't know if we would be you know, really saying that if we're watching a men's game. Hmm. Um, yes, it did get chippy. You're right. There were you know, maybe a few tackles that um, you know, could have been a little bit cleaner. Uh, but you know, they have to bring that mentality into the game both teams in order to really try to unbalance um, the opposition. And so I don't think that that was a negative thing. I think that that also was what motivated Lindsay to roll her sleeves up and really, you know, get that, that goal to tie, tie the game ultimately. Uh, Ali, I said on some other shows that I thought this would really be an indicator for us on how far the U.S. could go in this tournament. I think we have to be honest about what this Dutch team is and what they aren't. They're not the same team that went to the final. They're not the best representation of not only themselves, they're not the best representation of the rest of the competition in this tournament. If my worry scale on a 1-5 to five is like 4.2, 4.3, where's yours after seeing that performance last night? <laughs> um, yeah, it was, I would say maybe a 5. Mm. I am pretty even in the middle. I, I, I agree with you. I, I don't think that you know, any team is really at their best right now. Um, surprisingly, I think uh, the tournament has been pretty even. Sorry, I think the tournament has been pretty even. And um, yeah, they're not, at, they're, they're not yet there. There's still games that need to be had for them to kind of iron out those little details that even Blacko was mentioning in uh, the press conference where they aren't yet at their best. And I think that throughout the game, the younger players really kind of tried to improve, um, not only individually, but as a team and starting to actually, you know, combine uh, in and around the final third and creating chances and really using the width. So there were moments in the game where, you know, it definitely changed. Uh, I don't think that that performance was great. Hmm. Okay. Uh, Ali, let's get into what everybody's talking about, which is Vladko Andonovsky and his use of subs, or maybe better said, his lack of use of subs. Now, here's how the manager of the U.S. team explained it in the post-match press conference. He said, we were around the goal the whole time, and I just didn't want to disrupt the rhythm at that point because sometimes a substitute comes in, and it might take a minute or two to get into a rhythm. He went on to say, we just didn't want to jeopardize anything because I thought all three of our forwards were very good today, dangerous, created opportunities, and were a handful. All right, so he's talking about the subs there. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you make of what he's saying and the fact that he only went to the bench once and that happened at the halftime break? Yeah, I don't necessarily agree with that decision at all. I think we could have used some experience. I think Lynn Williams could have really put their back line, especially in a three-back at, at some points in, in, in the game, that she could have really done some you know, dangerous um, or created some dangerous opportunities. So I do think she could have been a real asset. I think, I think DeMello was actually playing really well. Mm. So I don't know why they took her off the field. Um, and then you know, having Rose obviously come in, she changed the game. She elevated it tremendously. Um, but I do think there was a missed opportunity to really, you know, when the Dutch were actually kind of tiring down, uh, especially in the last few opportunities we had at the end of the game, we could have made some changes to really um, try to win the game. So I don't know what necessarily the rhythm was all about because I do think adding in those substitutes could have actually created more rhythm yeah. uh, than what I saw. Yeah, I'm thinking about the names that were left on that bench. Lynn Williams, Alyssa Thompson, Megan Rapinoe, players who, when you need a goal, you would assume would kind of get on there and get some minutes. Uh, the focus right now is on the subs. I'd like to also talk about the starting 11, though, because I'm starting to have some concerns about what it tells us about this U.S. team. Savannah DeMello was not a part of the buildup. 
And now we've seen her in back-to-back -back starting 11s. Julie Ertz was not a part of the buildup, certainly not as a center back. And now we see her in that role as part of the starting 11. Mm -hmm. It makes me question if the team is really set up to succeed. They haven't played together uh, in these roles all that much. After the first game, Ali, I would have said, well, it's an experiment. Now I think it's what Vladko Andonovsky believes is actually his best 11. What do you think of the starting 11 that we've seen so far? Yeah, it, you know, at, the, at first I was I was also a little skeptical because, you know, I think if you can, you know, get a right center back who you really trust, which I thought was Alana Cook, because leading into this tournament she was playing you know, really well in, in every match. And so I was quite surprised because then you could put JJ in the six. I don't necessarily think that, um, you know, Andy had her best game yesterday. I'm sure, she, you know, she knows that. But I do think we could have that extra, you know, uh, consistency in the midfield and somebody who can, you know, uh, change the point of attack um, and, and battle, you know, box to box midfielder. We need that. And, and I think JJ has that ability. And so I would like to see maybe that adjustment. Mm. Also, I, I do think, once again, DeMello played well. So I don't know why, you know, they chose to do that. Obviously, you have other options there and Rose came into the game. And um, But I think she's been playing, you know, the most consistent out of a lot of the players that I've seen. But leading up into a tournament like this, in my previous um, years playing on the national team, we had our team set months and months in advance. And so we were always so used to who was starting. There might have been maybe one or two changes throughout the tournament. But you really knew who was going to be consistent and consistently in the first 11. And so everyone kind of knew their role and responsibility. Here, it seems like it's just a bit you know, mixed and he's a little unsure. Maybe he doesn't trust uh, some of the players and their ability, which is surprising to me because, you know, the lineup is a lot different than what we've seen leading up into the, this World Cup and also in qualifiers. So, yeah, I, I'm a bit surprised. I hope that we can see some of the, you know, veteran players moving into the next match or at least subbed in like we had discussed earlier. Ali, I mentioned at the top of the segment, our Alexis Nunes was all over the mix zone. She also asked Alex Morgan specifically about the attack. Let's listen in to what Morgan had to say. No World Cup is complete without an Alex Morgan goal. I think a lot of people are waiting for it. How are you feeling out there? I'm feeling good. Uh, you know, it's coming and I'm just being patient with it and um, trying to do as much as I can to put myself and Soph and Trin um, in goal scoring positions and um, got myself in some of those positions today. But now it's all about putting them back in the net. All right, so here's a look at some numbers. The U.S. Women's National Team at the World Cup when it comes to the attack. Of course, three goals in the opener against Vietnam, just one against the Dutch. We've seen the same starting three alley in both of these games up top. Uh, what changes do you think that Black Gondanovsky should or could make? Is it personnel? Is it maybe tactical? What do you think? Yeah, I think you should... Give, you know, I keep saying Lynn, but I'm seeing her day in and day out in training and in games. And she scored seven goals in NBSL. She was, you know, at the top of her game going into making the squad and going into this tournament. And I do think that, um, you know, maybe there was some moments yesterday where I thought she could have came in a little bit earlier, maybe for Trin or for Alex. And then Soph could have moved into the nine. Um, or, you know, she could have came in for Alex and then uh, played the nine. And then Soph and Trin can be on the flank as, uh, you know, can as consistent as he wants it. So I, I don't, you know, I hope to see uh, her have an opportunity. Um, and I know what she can bring. I know how good she can be. And that's me just seeing her every single day. Um, 
and then Pino, I think she has this individual magic that you can't um, really replicate. And I do value her. And uh, I know I played with her for a long time, but I know also that it's, it only takes that one or two, you know, chance of that individual flair that she can bring um, to the game. And we were missing that slight, uh, you know, experience yesterday, in my opinion. Yeah. Sophia Smith with a couple goals in the tournament, but Alex Morgan, Trinity Rodman still to a, uh... To break through. All right, Ali, before we let you go, I got to ask you about something that really caught my eye, or maybe I should say caught my ear in the pregame to this. And those were the comments from the Dutch manager about this American team and kind of where they are currently. He said, in the past, the U.S. women's national team were a lot fitter than the rest of the world, but those days are over. What is left of their superiority now? Pride comes before a fall, so it's on us to show them their time to fall has come. That's Andres Janker, the manager of the Dutch national team, talking about the U.S. women. Ali, we have a segment on this show called Get Lost. You can imagine uh, why we do that. We would tell people to get lost when they're speaking out of term. Uh, what do you think? Are we giving the Dutch manager get lost on this one? <laughs> of course. I mean, we are always going to have the mentality and the athleticism and the strength to just power through. And, um, you know, just like Lindsay proved yesterday, uh, you really, you know, um, have the opportunity and you're going to put the find a way to put the ball in the back of the net. We've always been that way. But I don't disagree. Every, you know, leader from any other team has to say those things so that they can get their players bought into what they're trying to create and what they're trying to, you know, um, emulate and especially at the highest level I, I really believe that people are so attracted to how we have shown up for each other and, and winning championships over the years that they're trying to kind of take bits and pieces and learn on how we have be become so successful and so I don't take that as you know something so negative I think it's great that he he needs to say that to you know his players and his staff to to be that leader that they can follow and say hey we're you know we're in we're in this with you and we believe that and we're bought in and this is now you know the mentality that we want to carry so I don't take that as you know you know a negative thing I think it's really positive because we have affected so many teams over the years around the world um, just with our mentality and, and the way that we are fit and athletic and, um, you know, fitter, faster, stronger. And it's been like that for years. So, you know, at some point um, you have to really start taking notes and, and see what, you know, the differences are of how we prepare uh, versus everyone else. Yeah, first 60 minutes, it was kind of hard to argue with him. Last 30 minutes, I think, uh, you yeah. know, we saw the difference there. But the Andres Yonker providing some bulletin board material for the U.S. women's national team for the rest of the way. Ali Krieger, two-time World Cup champ. Always great to have you with us here on Football Americas. Thanks, Seth. Thanks for having me. And so here's a look at the standings in Group E. The U.S. on top, thanks to goal difference. Group play concludes on Tuesday. Vietnam against Netherlands, USA against Portugal. Of course, this U.S. team features a lot of stars from the National Women's Soccer League. Also getting some representation at the World Cup, Liga Mekis Femenil. Our colleague Eric Gomez has more. The FIFA 2023 Women's World Cup is set to begin in Australia and New Zealand. And despite Mexico's absence, the tournament will be undeniably influenced by the country thanks to Liga MX Femenil, its professional women's league. Here's Pereira! Here's Pereira! Goal! 
In just six years, the league has gone from its formation to becoming one of the most influential in the world. La pelota pasa, la roqueta! Jennifer, Jennifer Gould! The biggest star the league can boast at the tournament is Pachuca forward Jennifer Hermoso. Voted the runner-up to best player in the world in 2021, her 48 goals make her Spain's all-time goal scorer. And back 18 more last season for Las Tuzas. In Group C, Hermoso and the Furia Roja will face Costa Rica. Servicio que remata la tica a contrapié. Of the six players from Costa Rica who played in Mexico last year, three are headed to the World Cup. Among them, Sofia Varela, who scored eight times for Santos Laguna. Sofia Varela con el remate de cabeza. While Valeria del Campo was the first tica to win the Mexican League title back in 2021 with Rayadas. Valeria del Campo es la que mete el de cabeza. Over in Group G, Argentina will try to win the Women's World Cup just six months after winning the men's title. On this quest, they'll rely on two players from Club León, Sofia Braun and Mariana La The country's all-time goal scorer with 20. Y la sudafricana llega a empujar con la cabeza ante la salida de Itzel Velasco, así las bravas. Argentina will clash with South Africa and Jermaine Selpocenwe, who scored twice for her country en route to winning the 2022 Women's Africa Cup of Nations, while notching seven goals for las bravas de Juárez last season. Hoy Juárez quiere hacer historia. Jermaine remate gol de Juárez. The Mexican League also had a hand in Panama's first ever trip to the World Cup. Pachuca midfielder Marta Cox was a lockdown starter on a squad that finished as the runner-up in the Clausura 2023 season. Nos dejó sin palabras Marta Cox, la prende de pierna izquierda. These Liga MX feminine starlets will look to delight fans this summer at the World Cup while sending the clear message that Mexico's league is on the rise. La magia y la entrega de la Liga MX Femenil. Great stuff. From Eric Gomez, a reminder, we've got another Women's World Cup special coming your way Thursday, 6 p.m. Eastern Time, available on ESPN2. The summer of soccer continues across the ESPN family of networks on Sunday. Manchester United facing off against Borussia Dortmund on ESPN2, ESPN Deportes, and of course, right here on ESPN+. Plus. All right, that'll do it for this edition of Football Americas. Casey, thank you so much for uh, helping us this yep. week. You'll start making my way back to the Northwest. I'm just saying, oh, yeah, you drove down here. Yeah. Huh? That's going to be a long we, we trip did the back. Old, the old school road trip. It was fun. We will miss you uh, on you. Monday's show. However, it is good that we will have her Hercules. Uh, well, get your, get your co-host. Well, I'm so excited get, about it. I can't get, get, get it your, out. Get we will have back. Hercules Gomez back. Uh, on Monday as he returns from vacation, a well-earned vacation with his family. So uh, we look forward to that. And uh, we'll be covering the women's national team. Looking ahead to their group finale can they, uh, against Portugal. Can they turn it around? Day. Can they turn it around? Big game there as they look to clinch a spot in the knockout rounds. From scenic Los Angeles, we'll see you Monday.